This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Hallelujah. Can we respond to God's presence this morning? Let's just spend some time. Let the presence of God be strong on your consciousness. I want the presence of God to be strong on your consciousness. God is here. 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 Think on his presence here. God is here. He's going to touch you. He's going to change your life. He's going to add something to you. Your life will never remain the same. In the name of Jesus. Your life is not going to remain the same. In the name of Jesus. Your life will not remain the same. In the name of Jesus. Your life will not remain the same. In the name of Jesus. Oh, I have a very strong desire this morning. I pray for everybody here. Concerning that which concerns their families and their relationships. That there will be healings today. There will be healing of hearts. There will be healing of every broken heart. There will be healing of every broken heart. There will be healing of every broken heart. People who have been set on a course that is that is that is is, is doomed to destruction. People that have are on a, a certain a, a coin path that will end in destruction. I declare that today your, your your route is redirected in the name of Jesus. Today you are set on the right path. You will not enter a destructive marriage. You will not enter a destructive relationship. You will not enter a union that will be a thorn in your flesh. In the name of Jesus. Today is your day. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Hallelujah. Praise God. Alright everybody, let's have our seats. Praise God. It's good to see every one of you. I'm happy to have you guys in church. I hope your week has been pleasant so far. Praise God. I hope your week has been good. Hallelujah. So just go higher. All right. Praise God. So today, um, okay, let me just start like this. Second Corinthians chapter three. Second Timothy rather chapter three. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hallelujah. The scriptures are a document, they are a compendium of all of God's value systems. Amen. The scriptures are a document that contains God's value systems. God inspired it to communicate, to show how he thinks about his creation, what his desire for his creation is, how creation is supposed to go. So when you want to know God's values, if you want to know God's priorities, if you want to know how God thinks about the scripture, about creation, right, right? Um, you, you look into the scriptures. The Bible says that all things were created by him and for him. Colossians chapter 1. All things were created by him and for him. Every house, Hebrews chapter 3, every house has a builder, but the builder of all things is who? God. The builder of all things is who? God. 
So, there is nothing that we have that we see of God's creation that God does not have intentions about. Especially relationship and marriage issues. Praise God. Especially relationship and marriage issues. So, the scriptures are meant to show us how God thinks about stuff and it will enable us to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, what that means is that in looking at the scriptures, in looking at the Bible, you can see how God thinks about marriage and relationship. And you can, by learning, by submitting yourself to it, you can become very good at it. Church, all together. Look at that verse again, verse 17. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Are you a servant of God? Praise God. Is there anybody that is not a servant of God here? Praise God. Church, all together. So, you can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Marriage is a good work. Relationship is a good work. These things were created by God. God has a pattern in mind for it. Maybe I'll talk about God's, you know, God's plan and patterns for all things in some other service. Praise God. But really, right, we, from the scriptures, we can know how God views things and how God's values about marriage stuff is, is, is. And so, by looking at it, we can become very good at it. Do you guys want to have a good marriage? Is there anybody that wants to have a good marriage here? Is there anybody that doesn't want to get married here? Bible says there are some people that are eunuchs now, so some people are not meant to get married. Praise God. So, if you want to have a good marriage, if you want to have a good time, you can actually look at the scriptures and see God's values about marriage and learn from them. And they can instruct you so that you can become good at it. You can become good at relationship. I don't mean it in the sense that you have plenty of relationship and you'll be good at everything. Praise God. In fact, the evidence that you are good at relationship is that you have few relationships. Mm. Amen? No, you guys didn't get that. The evidence that you are good at relationship is that you will have few history or few events of entering relationships. The evidence that you are not good at it is that you have plenty of relationships. Praise God. So if you are here or you are hearing me, and you have your, your, your past relationship history. <laughs> is that you've had plenty of people in your past. You have plenty, plenty issues in your past. It's a sign that you're not good at it. You need to stop and listen to God's word. You need to stop for a while and listen to God's word. Hallelujah. You need to spend some time just getting God's views on relationship. Praise God. And so that's why this, this teaching is actually very critical. This teaching is important. The truth is that um, as I was, when I was explaining, when I was inviting people for this service, is that because of the kind of person I am, yeah, if, if I wanted to let myself go, I would, be, I would be known as relationship teacher because I like teaching all this kind of stuff. Praise God. And it's because um, it's one of those things that it's easy to see the results in people's lives very quickly, especially people that are paying attention. So from the get-go, let me say something. I learned this from my mentor, and I've also learned that when it comes to relationship, people are very stubborn. People don't like hearing advice. And so people end up most times doing what they want to do. But the few people that actually listen to advice and take the advice, their lives will change. Praise God. So from the, from the get-go, I want to advise you, right? I want to advise you. I want to beg you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please hear advice. Listen to God's values on marriage. 
Listen to what God has to say about marriage. Please, I beg you in the name of God. If you do, you will save yourself a lot of catastrophe, a lot of problem. Because this family issue, this relationship matter, is actually very critical. It is an error to assume that ministry should not concern itself with such things. Because you see from the scriptures that the Lord and the apostles were deliberate about teaching on this stuff. Because it is extremely crucial. Let me show you something. Matthew chapter 19. So there's this vision that God had for marriage, right? Matthew chapter 19. There's this vision that God had for marriage that I want to try and describe that picture to you. That if you can see that picture, hmm, part of what we do in this church is to reshape people's values. And one of the ways that we go about that is that one of the many things that we have to do in doing that is that we need to give people a picture. When you want to change people's value system from one way to another, you need to give people a picture of how the alternative value system looks and how it is superior to what the one they currently hold. Praise God. Um, we need to show you a picture of what the alternative, what God's value system looks like and how it is superior to the one that you currently hold. So I want to show you from Jesus himself, the Logos, the one who created marriage, the one by whom all things were created and were created for. I want to show you the picture of what he has in mind for marriage and what it looks like. And if you don't have that kind of mentality yet, I want to show you how beautiful marriage can be and listen to me as i go forward and i want this thing to sink into your heart in case you don't know this having a good marriage is not luck i wish you see the reason why if i can't finish today we'll extend to next sunday over time because a lot of people have had bass boosts in relationship they've done all kinds of things they've had plenty body counts their life has been upside down they look at some people that have it well and they will say, he was very lucky. <clears throat> God helped him. He's very lucky. He's just lucky, just got the right person. Listen to me. There's no luck in having a good marriage and good relationship. There's no luck in it. There is a reason why... When, now, well, let's, go, let's delve into the realm of empiricism and statistics. There is a reason why divorce rates are increasing. There's a reason why. There's a reason why, statistically speaking, people are claiming to be less happier, to be less happy than our forebears, than our parents in their own generation. Even though our own, our own parents in their own generation were not as rich as we are, they're not as comfortable as we are, right? The world at their time was far more dangerous than we are, yet statistics have shown intergenerationally that people are claiming to be less and less happy. There is a reason why. All these things are not a matter of luck. You will see how this thing that God gave human beings called dominion over the earth, how most of these issues are actually affiche, or not affiche, sorry. It is people doing themselves. Our forefather, Jari, thank you. It's a forefather. Uh, for those that don't speak Yoruba, it means you are using your hand to pull it to yourself. You use your hand to pull it. <laughs> Praise God. Many of these things are you use your hand to pull it to yourself. English is, is too shallow. 
Praise God. Many of these things are actually you, people doing themselves. Intergenerationally. You see some very, very funny statistics like um, um, the, the, you know, like Thomas Sowell will do some statistics and he'll tell you that the, the blacks that came out of slavery, that is after slavery, after the emancipation in the U.S., the rate of marriage amongst them was higher than the rate of marriage now. Then, you know, in the early, early, early 20th century, the rate of marriage among people, the rate of divorce or single parenthood among, you know, black America was like 25% or something. And among whites, it's a little bit higher. Now it's like 75%. What's the difference? Then they were suffering more. Then there was actual discrimination. Now that things are better, this divorce rate is increasing. Why? You now say people were lucky. How can, people, how can, how can you say people were lucky? That people, when they get into good marriages and relationships, that's because of luck. It is not because of luck. And I want that to sink into your head now. If you will take godly advice, the worst thing that can happen is that it might take time before you get married. That's the worst. Which often, it does not even, people don't even get that delay. In fact, many people's delay is also what you are using, you to call, let me use it in English, the use of your hand to pull it to yourself. It's a forfeit. Many of the so-called delays that people are having is the same thing. Is the same thing. People's heads and their values about marriage being in the wrong place. So people are looking for what is not missing. That's why, let me tell you something. If you don't know what you are looking for, and you are looking for something, you will never find it. Do you understand that? If you don't know what you are looking for, if I send somebody now, a child that does not know what the phone is, I'll say, go to the panel, I'm going to break my phone for me. The person will come here and be walking up and down, the phone will be here, and the person will first carry TV. Carry like, I am keep, uh, keyboard, carry table, carry everything. And that's what happened to a lot of people. I want to show you what a picture of good what of what marriage is. And I want to offer you this wonderful alternative that God actually ordained, which is superior to what we have now, which is the best. See how it measures against your own, and we'll see how God's value systems have made provision. For us to get into that better picture. Please, church, I put together Matthew chapter 19. Verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. And they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? <laughs> for any and every reason. What a question. Verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become what one flesh so that they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what god has joined together let no one what separate hallelujah see the picture this is what the creator intended. That a man will leave his father and his mother and cleave to a woman and both of them will become one flesh and both of them will become what? Inseparable. That means it is actually possible for you to meet a person and that person will literally be your ride or die. You see that thing we used to do in marriage uh, testimony today, marriage and vows, that will say, that instead of saying for better, for poorer, for sickness and in health, and for sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, do not say we are confessing good confession. So for better and for better, for in sickness and in prosperity, is it done? 
You're just deceiving yourself. That is not is is fake confession. I'm sorry to say, is a fake confession. Do you know why? Because the intention is that a man will get a babe, and the two of them will become ride or die. That nothing can come in between them. That see, both of them will be together, and nothing will shake them. Both of them will do life together, and they will do stuff together, and nothing can come in between them. As I'm talking now, the picture I have is um, uh, Fast and Furious. Vin Diesel and his babe. <laughs> That's when the bad guys come. Now we, now we too. That at any point in time, then or Jota, you're in Sulari and everything. If, 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 they, if anyone come and tell you that, where's your wife or where's your husband? You don't have any doubt. You, they come and tell that your wife said something about you. You don't have any doubt that your babe or your guy has your back. That no matter what happened, I, I know if everybody in this world should desert me, there's one person I know. Nothing can come between us. You see that picture? That's the picture that God actually intended for marriage. That's why, based on that picture, divorce does not make sense. Because when you have cleaved to someone like that, you're right or you're dying. There's nothing that can separate you guys. If both of you want to separate, because of the kind of bond that you had, it's like as if you are still married, married you're just deceiving yourselves. So are you feeling me? That is the picture that God intended. That when both of you want to do stuff, that if you need to do stuff, because of the fact that that person is your right or die, that person is in your corner. So whatever it is that you are doing, you can always depend on that person's support for you. That is the picture. And you can have it. You actually can if you have sense. If you will hear God's word, you can actually have that picture. <laughs> Remember in the early part of the year when I when I first sick, when I was sick and you know I had to go to the hospital and everything. So one of the nights when the symptoms flared up and all that, my wife, as she was pregnant too, she now had to drive me to the hospital in the evening or close the night, sir, close to the night. And as we were going out, that's how these um, silly estate security men were now flexing power. They were diverting people to go and pass one place. People that were supposed to pass the place had blocked the place. So there was no way, no way to come down. Praise God. <laughs> you want to kill Ijoma's boo. Hey, you want to kill Ijoma's, the love of Ijoma's life. I was in the car like this, I was like this. That's when I saw action. She just came down. Are you people mad in this place? Somebody is if you don't, I will use my car and clear all of you from the road. I say, I want to go to your ah, I say, correct, my ride will die. <laughs> I know I'm okay because my wife is here. Hallelujah. You, you can actually have that. That you are not afraid that uh, the person is going to the office and the person will cheat on you and all those kind of useless, useless things that we are calling, to, you know, what the picture that we have. See, it's something that the world has done. And everything that the world seeks to do is to raise up idols and alternative philosophies and other and alternative worldviews to do that of the picture of Christ, so that we will substitute brass for gold. For example, by hyping sex and hyping sex and hyping sex, right? They can you can substitute wood for diamond, thinking that everything is about sex, and then your eyes are so focused on relationship where people meet in a bar 
and then they kiss each other and then they now came to the house and they were moving their clothes on the road and they could not stop and as you know they burned the road on the floor it be on the this thing and I said hey, 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 that was great and this thing has permeated our mentality and we to think that that is what the pedestal of a good relationship is I'm telling you if you ever enter a relationship like that I guarantee you you are going to have problems in life there's actually a picture where you can have peace of mind and it's no fluke. When this idea became began to first, I, no, this idea began to first occur to me that this thing is actually not a fluke. Was when I was in school, and I discovered that all of us that were raised under certain people, that were listening to certain people, and we made our relationship decisions based on the way we were taught. I noticed that we had a very high relationship success rate, extremely high. Most of our friends, most of them. I know like five in my head right now that I can reel off. That we all met our wives in school. We all had good relationships. We had clean relationships. And we are all married to them. And we are all happy. We have no fear about their marriage, whatever they are. No fear. Because this thing, you can actually use your head. You can be present-minded. And you will say, this is the way God said we should do it. I will do it like this. I will make a choice based on this. And I will have a good relationship. You can actually have it. You see this idea of let's just be praying, God, send me somebody good. Listen to me. In entering relationship, let me sound like this. In entering relationship, see, in, in all of our Christian work, there are always these things where we have, there's always a tension between God's sovereignty and our own efforts. This thing, this tension is what undergirds, is what undergirds most of our differences in our views concerning many doctrines from the doctrine of salvation and predestination to the doctrine of charismatic gifts to the doctrine of everything, right? This tension between God's sovereignty and, and our agency, right? What, which one is God doing by his will and which one or how far can we, how far do we have an impute? That tension is what happens. So um, believers, because of the way our different biases and all that, we usually have different points on that um, on that um, sliding scale, where we tend to stand. And because of our different points, we tend to, you know, debate each other based on our different points. So, even in this issue of relationship, right, there's always that tension to the way people think about it. Is it God that picks relationship for us, or is it us that, you know, makes the decision for ourselves and everything? And, you know, let's not go into too much um, deep doctrinal stuff. But the truth is that based on different precepts and based on um, dif- at different points and in different ways, based on different precepts and different issues in the doctrine of Christ, you actually have different um, positions depending on those issues. In marriage and relationship, for example, the amount of agency that God has given human beings in making the decision about marriage is so much that if we, if we want to put it in numbers, it will be something like, 95, 95% man, 5% God. And I'm not joking. Look through the scriptures. All through. You scantily find, it, you can't find a place where God mandates a person for, for someone. You can't. Because this thing, I don't, let me not go into the intricacies of all that. Because when it comes to marriage thing, it is something that God has given to man. So, you can follow God's patterns for your life. In fact, 
the sovereignty of God in marriage is exp- is is um is exemplified is shown in our following God's value system. So the way God chooses relationship for us is by us following what he has said. Do you understand what I just said to you now? Do you get what I just said to you now? Let me say it again. The way God's sovereignty is demonstrated in our choice of marriage partner is not in God choosing the person for us. It is in God choosing how we should go about it. Do you hear what I just said now? Did you hear what I just said now? So, if you want to do the will of God for marriage, it is in going about it the way God has said it. That is following the will of God. It's not about the person in quotes. Or not so much about the person. Church, all together. Oh, are you with me? Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This is the picture. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Two are better than one. Two that are the ride or die for each other is better than one person. Do you know why? Because they have a good return for their labor. That means that when they learn the labor together, there is a multiplier effect. He says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity one who falls and has no one to help them up. Hi. May we not enter a relationship where you will fall and the person cannot help you up. He says you pity the person. He says you pity the person. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily what? Broken. Hallelujah. So when you have that picture that Jesus has in mind, when you have that your guy, what it does is that it confers two things on you. You have harmony. That means you have someone that is your guy. You have peace of mind. You have harmony with the person. But it now has another part. Two things that that thing confers. It enables both of you to now have a synergy that helps you to be more effective to do the purpose of God for you. So you have a good reward for your labor. So you can do more. If one person falls down, the other person will lift them up. If one person falls down, the other person can lift them up. So you have harmony and you have greater effectiveness. You enter marriage, a good relationship, and you become a better version of yourself. You become a fresher person, a version of yourself. You become a more effective version of yourself. That is the picture. Not the one that you enter a relationship. And then when they see you on the road, they will think that something bad has happened to you. Not the one that they say you enter a relationship and since the entire relationship, her life has been, has been somehow. His life has been somehow since the entire relationship. That's not the will of God. You can actually get this picture. Do you guys get the picture I'm painting to you? Do you appreciate that picture I'm painting to you? And one of the reasons why this issue is very important, this, um, this bright marriage is very, very important, is that it's, it's, it's very important to God that the bond is very is right. Because that bond is what determines how the family units will go. 
Can you turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3? Read verse 14 and 15. Can someone help us with that? Ephesians 3, verse 14 and 15. Brother, please, what was your name? Sorry? Tope. Sorry, Toba. Toba. Okay. So, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Can somebody read it for us? Yes? Mm-hmm. Good. Hallelujah. From whom every family in heaven and earth derives his name. That means when God is, when God, when God planned human civilization, either in heaven or in earth, the, the, the structural unit of human civilization is the family unit. It is the bedrock. That is the small indivisible unit, the family unit. Wherever you see civilization, wherever there's anything called society, wherever there's anything called a country, a town, anything called civilization, the first thing you see is a family. Before a village, before, a, 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 because before something becomes a village, it becomes a family first. It's when families become many that you now call it a village, isn't it? It's when a village becomes bigger with many families that it becomes a city. So everything breaks down to the family unit. Guess what? The family unit is the place where people's volition, all their value system is shaped. That is the bedrock. So if you want to destroy a civilization, you start by um, destroying the family unit. Listen to me. Any problem you see in any country, anything you see in any country that you see that is wrong, is from the family unit that that thing started. When you see someone misbehaving outside, you'll be wondering, why does this guy behave like a child like this? Why does this girl even she be anything? Why does this girl behave like something's wrong with her? Go and check. It's from the family. It's from whom? Anything that is wrong with the society, when you say, ah, this country, all of them, they are now behaving like uh, foolish liberals. They are now saying all kinds of stupid things, stupid things. Guess what? It's because the family has been destroyed. So children are being brought up in with a certain kind of mentality. It is those children that grow up to become adults that shape the civilization. See, by the time you are seeing certain stupid things happening in a society, it's already too late. Do you know what I just said now? By the time it's being manifested, by the time adults in a society are doing something, and you can look from outside and say, there's a critical mass of adults in this society that are doing certain foolish, inconvenient things. By that time, it's already too late. That's why I'm very cynical about some countries now. Do you know why? Because those adults did not become adults that day. You saw them. They, are, they were born years, decades ago. And it was from decades ago that they have taught them the rubbish they are manifesting now as adults. So it's too late to correct them. They're already adults. The work has spoiled from when they were children. And they are already training their own children in the same way. So by the time you are seeing some things, it's already too late for some countries. What I just said to you now. Because the family unit is the bedrock. Every civilization in heaven and on earth is named, is grouped into families. I wish to tell you guys something. That volition determines intellection, right? Volition precedes intellection. Volition directs intellection. Everything, those th- what it just means is the way a person thinks is determined by their mindset. 
the way people think about things is dependent on their value system. The way people think and rationalize things, the way people look at things and think about them is dependent on the way their mind is. So the way people interpret any kind of evidence you bring to them, it depends on where the mind of the person is before. Church, are we together? Now, if the family unit is the bedrock from childhood, where the volition of everybody in a society is determined, that means that all you need to do is to destroy the civilization, is to go to where people's volition is being shaped and scatter it. You will just see adults doing all kinds of foolish intellectual, foolish irrationalization. See, why are, you, why are you guys thinking like this? Can't you guys see? From your family. So, when that bond between a man and a woman, which, which is the family, where the family st- starts from, if it is not according to this pattern, what you have is that it's going to be a ripple effect across the family structures, about the family systems of that nation, where all kinds of evil will be done. Trisha, I get what I'm saying to you. So, this thing is a very serious matter. Your children depend on it. Nigeria depends on it. The will of God depends on it. I always tell people, and I always laugh jokingly, that marriage is something that if you get right, at least you'll be sure that when you get to heaven, you will get some reward. Church, out together. If you get it right, when you get to heaven, you will get some reward for evangelism. You can spend your whole life running away from evangelism. Say, let's go and do evangelism. We're doing like this, doing like this, like this. But at least if you marry right, and you marry a God-fearing sister, and both of you raise your children the way of the Lord, and you have four children, and your four children are raised in the way of child and the Lord, and they continue in Christianity, at least you have four converts. So when they get to heaven and they are saying, all of you that do not do evangelism, come to one side. You say, me, I did do. Say, where are your converts? See them, one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah, your wife can share. I, I took two, you took two. We have two, two converts each. <laughs> So where's my crown? <laughs> At least I will get something. Why? Because even the family unit is an integral tool for the expansion of the kingdom of God. Other people say that people are here, you are born into the kind of family that your religion is dependent by family. No, it's not true. That argument does not make sense. Right? But nonetheless, there's a point there. And the point is that the family unit has a strong influence on how people will see the world. That's why there are some religions in, in, in the world today that the fastest growing religion and they don't have evangelism. The fastest growing religion and they don't have evangelism. They have one way. Procreation. They don't do evangelism. They don't preach. But they have one way. is what? Procreation. While you are hustling to get one person saved, two persons saved, you are following them up for years, Telling them Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You are doing everything, leading the sick, raising the dead. One guy. Just find four women. Lamb all of them, five, 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 five each. Twenty. Without doing anything, you don't procreate religion. Twenty from one man. Those twenty-two. Four, 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 four wives. Lamb four, 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 four. In, in, in 50 years, one man has created 100 converts. You don't need to talk too much. Just procreate. Everyone was saying you are preaching the gospel. No, 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 calm down, relax. There are other ways to this thing. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. The family is extremely important. It's extremely important. 
It's extremely important. So that's why I have, uh, you know, this Godly Advice series basically is about, um, it's a series that, you know, I, I got inspired to, to do. And, you know, we call it Godly Advice. We advise you from the scriptures to take the advice so that you can do well in your marriage and relationships. And the first installment today, the first advice we are giving you is to marry your friend. Say, marry your friend. Turn to your neighbor and marry, say, marry your friend. If your baby is in church t- today, turn to your babe and say, marry your friend. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because people have their babes in church today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Sorry to those that their babes are not in church. Amen. Why? Let me first define what the word friend is. Because before, because I noticed even from people who were responding to my tweet that people's idea of friend is different. So people think that what I want to preach is about the fact that if you have a girl in your, in your sphere of influence that is your friend, since, since you guys were in school, don't go and friend zone the person, marry the person. Then what I preach kind of, kind of, but that's not what I'm saying. No. It's far from what I'm saying. It can affect it sometimes. Yes, only me, yes. But that's not what I'm saying at all. Let me define what friend means. Let's look at the scriptures. Proverbs 18, verse 24. This is what I mean by friend. I don't, if I, when I check the Oxford Dictionary definition of friend, it says someone that you have mutual affection for. That's not what I'm talking about. Though. Because there's a way enemies can have mutual affection for each other. Let me just, you see what I'm saying now. Proverbs 18, verse 24. One, one, verse 24 says, One who has unri- unreliable friends soon comes towards ruin. So you can have unreliable friends. So when I say marry your friend, I'm not saying go and marry your unreliable friend. You can have friends that are unreliable. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a what? Brother. So you see where I was bringing the picture from. Do you guys remember the picture I was telling you about? The picture of your ride or die. That's what I'm looking talking about. I want you to marry someone that is a friend that sticks closer than your brother. You're meant to have a spouse that even your family members cannot come in between you. That your brother and your sisters cannot come in between you. That's the will of God. So, what I mean by friend is marry someone that has your best interest at heart. Marry someone that is committed to you. That's what I mean by friend. I don't mean marry your guy. We say we'll be guys for school. That's not what I mean, no. Because you can be guys with your enemy. Anybody that, at least if you're a Yoruba person, you understand what I'm saying. The kokoro that eats the F4 is where? He's inside the F4. That people are your friend does not mean they are your friend. So I'm not saying marry your cosmates. I'm not saying marry people that were in church together. I mean marry your guy, that, marry someone that sticks closer to you than a friend. Marry someone that is committed to you deliberately. Marry someone that has committed. This is the word, the, the definition of friend I'm talking about. Marry someone that is committed to the fulfillment of to you. So marry someone that is committed to you fulfilling the purpose of God for your life. That's the definition of friend I'm using. There, see, there are two common misunderstandings that people used to misunderstand what it means to for someone to be a good partner or to be a good friend. The number one number one is. Um, the idea of someone that has common interest with me. You know, your interests usually stem from your, from your personalities. 
So because someone has common interest with you or you have similar personalities and all that, you now say, Sobi, she's my person. She's, she's, my kind, she's my kind of person. He's my kind of person. I love going to movies. You love going to movies. Oh, okay. Um, she likes watching Netflix. She likes Netflix and chill. Me too, I like Netflix and chill. I don't like going out. Her too, she does not like going out. I'm a very gentle person. Me too, we're a very gentle person. So that's why we are very good friends. You are not good friends. You see, that's why you best will be a good partner. You are deceiving yourselves. You see? I like internet stuff. I like tech stuff. And she gets it when I'm talking about tech stuff. You see, I like political commentary. And when I'm talking, she knows how to have intelligent conversations with me. So that's why we are a good partner. You guys will be having intelligent conversations and you'll be killing yourselves in the house. <laughs> you'll be having intelligent political conversations and be beating the hell out of yourselves. Cheating the hell out of yourselves. Your children will... <laughs> you'll be having... Inte- <laughs> you will have intelligent conversation. finish. you fight and beat, beat yourself. Finish beating yourself. You continue to come back to your political... All those things. You see, I like to travel. She likes to travel. Who does not like to travel? Who does not like to travel? <laughs> you see, she's very good at art. She appreciates art. And me too, I appreciate art before. You don't know Hitler was a painter. You don't know. <laughs> Nobody appreciates art more than Hitler. You marry Hitler because you appreciate art. I knew it was she me. <laughs> I knew it was was she me. People mistake common interest for friendship. Common interest is not friendship. Oh. Common interest is not friendship. That thing is highly overrated. Some of the strongest marriages and strongest relationships I have. They have, very, they have very huge differences in personalities and in temperaments and in interests. Very huge. My pastor, for example, he, he does not go out. Anybody that knows my pastor knows, he's, he's, him and his wife are always saying this thing. He does not go out. He can stay in his house, praying, meditating, writing, reading, doing all those kinds of things for, for years, literally, and never go out. But his wife likes to go out. But I can't have no, I don't know of any marriage that is stronger. I don't. When I say to this, this man, let's go out. Let's be going. I say I cannot go out. When the when he decides to go out with her, she takes her as a birthday present. Say, ah, for you to do this today, you are showing love. Because we know how hard it is for you. You see, some people. Very different interests. Very different interests. One, the husband is a very, very gentle person, very agreeable person. Meanwhile, the wife is fire branch. She does not want anything to go wrong and everything. And they work well. You see this thing of, I've seen all kinds of permutations. That, so all those permutations I always do, that's not the point. It's all those useless permutations, they are useless. Um, you see, because both of us are gentle and we are agreeable, that means we'll work. It's a lie. Because I've seen people that one is gentle, one is out there. And they are both doing well. I've seen many that both of them are out there. Bo, bo, bo. You say both of you fit yourself. You see some both are gentle. You say both of you fit yourself. You see some one is extroverted, one is introverted. You say both of you fit yourself. So what is it now? So interest and personality is not what makes for a good friend. It can make it fun for you to hang out, but it does not mean the person is your ride or die. 
The thing that makes the person ride or die is something else. Your enemy can have the same interests with you. The person that will destroy your life can have the exact same interests with you. And the person that will give you peace of mind in this life can have very different interests from you. So at the end of the day, when you get the right things right, it's not be like as if irrespective of the kind of personalities or outward interests that the person has, it always seems to complement at the end of the day. Do you understand what I just said to you now? It always seems like as if at the end of the day, at the end of the day, when you get the core foundation right, every other interest outside, they seem to align. It will now be like as if the end is justifying the means. So when you've gotten the, the basic things correctly, even when both of you have different interests, you say we are complementing each other. So what I don't have, she has. And what she doesn't have, I have. So we are complete. When you get the right things right, if both of you are thinking the same way, you say because we are thinking the same way, we are one. So we love each other. Do you see that? Meanwhile, when the core is wrong, when both of you have different interests, you say, she doesn't get me and I don't get her. That's why we have irreconcilable differences. She does not have sense. Say, lie you. When the core is wrong and both of them are alike, they will say, eh, it's because both of us are alike that we don't fit each other. I need someone that's a bit different. It's a lie. That's not the point. The second thing that people take overestimate in this issue of what friendship is, is what we call um, flame, spark, which is just cute ways of talking about sexual attraction and infatuation. The spark, the flame. Say, when I'm with her, I can't breathe. Be careful so that you don't die <laughs> or choke. <laughs> what is telling you that you cannot breathe is we all know what it means. You, can't, you won't be able to breathe. <laughs> Most people, when they say, um, there's, there's just this spark between us, that's what they mean. That thing is highly overrated. Do you know why? You see this sexual attraction, infatuation, physical look kind of thing. The first thing you need to understand about it is that the mind is extremely pliable with respect to that thing. The mind is highly pliable and malleable with respect to this issue of spark. What you say is your type in terms of spark that is making you spark, that these are the types that make you spark. Hmm? That type is not biological. You didn't come with it from heaven. It's because of the way you were brought up that that spark is the way you have spark. It's the, kind of, it's the reason why you like that kind of spark. If you grew up in a Western, a Western-centric um, civilization where in their culture they um, idolize skinny women that will look when you grow up the things that will be giving you spark is skinny women but if you are from Akwaibo or from Cross River where the spark is dependent on the size they tell you from growing up that the size is the size of the spark the bigger, the better. You will just notice that if you grow up in that place, your own spark is when you see big women. Have you not noticed that your sexual preferences are usually black and white? 
and very streamlined. But the moment you get addicted to porn or you start watching porn, your appetites now expand. You will now notice that you like all kinds of things. Have you not noticed that it's after people have had plenty sexual partners that they will not start talking about stupid things like sexual compatibility? What does that mean? What the person is telling you when they're talking about sexual compatibility is that we have tested a lot of things. So there are some things that we have started liking and we want someone to have that thing. It's a meaningless statement. When someone talks about sexual compatibility, just know that the person is a chronic fornicator. Yes. Put it on Twitter. I said it. Whenever you hear anybody utter that statement, marry someone you are sexually compatible. How do you know that somebody can be sexually compatible if you have not tried it before? How do you know? And it's not once because you cannot use once to say one person is not compatible. That means that you have reference points to tell who is compatible and who is not compatible. You are a fornicator. Why? Because this sexual thing is mostly, largely malleable. It's malleable. I can tell you from my own life. When I grew up, I think it must be a function of the way I was brought up and everything. When I was younger, my own was fair girls. Those that know me from school know what I'm talking about. Those that my friends that know me from when I was young, they know. Fair girls. Hey, <laughs> They used to show me Pepe. The one that dealt with me the most. I was why people get like this. Fair girls. What I see fair girls in those days when I was in my early 20s and when I was a teenager, my head would just not be correct again. See, spark is a lie. After they've broken my heart very well and my eyes have cleared and I've met God on the way to Damascus, the babe I now fell in love with, I fell in love with her and fair girls are not my teen again. All of you know how she looks. Chocolate. Now, chocolate is the in thing. What happened? Are you with me now? <laughs> so, so, what's happened? What happened? As an example, I will never fail to use because that example is extremely hilarious to me. It's the, it's the, it's the story of Chris Rock. After he had his divorce, he's the last stand up comedy that he did. The guy told the story there. He said, when he was younger, when he was still in the head and everything, Everything was all about sex, cheating on women, cheating on his wife and everything. And then they had a messy divorce and, you know, the whole family issues and all that. He says after women had dealt with him, after he has gone through all his travels, he said the thing that is stunning him now is not hot women again. All those big bum bum, big blessings, they don't turn him on. No turns him on now. Peace of mind. <laughs> you are laughing. <laughs> he said when a woman gives me peace of mind, that's when I'll be happy. <laughs> when you were young guys, hey, big breast, big bummer, and I run around like a demented person. When they deal with you, when you see someone that is as flat as um, the wall, that will give you, you just notice that that's the spark that is working for you. Because all these things that we're calling spark is, is a huge function of our cultural context, how we have been formed over time. This is the second part about this spark thing. Which you must know and must let it sink into you. The second part about this spark thing is that it is very time bound. You see, one thing that young people always make the mistake of young people always think that their now is forever. Every of their present feels like eternity. 
The younger you are, the more distorted time is to you. The longer, the younger you are, the, the more short periods of times look like eternity. That's why for people like my daughter, telling her to stand in the naughty corner for 10 minutes, if you remember, cast your mind back to when you were younger. If you tell you to stand in the naughty corner for 10 minutes, it will be like as if you are standing there for one hour. Time for them is not time for us. You what I'm saying to you? It's not the same. Because of the way their brain is firing. In the same way, when you are young, everything that you do, every time you are making decisions, it will be like as if the way you are feeling now is the way you will feel forever. Well, let me tell you something. And this is the place where people start finding it hard to take advice. Because it's, it's contrary to how they feel. I'm begging you in the name of God, if you are hearing this message, please hear what I'm saying to you now. You see this spark sexual infatuation thing is very time limited. That feeling you are having is only when you are young and your hormones are raging that that thing comes. After the first few years of your marriage and you settle down, the spark is not dear. The spark involves into something more solid and better. So if you are making decisions based on spark for eternity, it will not always be there. Even if you decide not to get married and you want to be a, a, a bachelor or a spinstress for the rest of your life, you see that thing, that feeling. Once you get into your... Te- that's why they always abuse 30 plus people. Your thinking will be very different. Your life will change. Your mindset will change. So that thing you are feeling now that is so important to you is a temporary thing that happens only when you are young. The older you get, the more that feeling dries. That feeling, that spark feeling, you won't always feel it. So if you're going to make a decision about who your friend is, or who your right guy is going to be, it cannot be based on how that feeling is now. It has to be on something more solid. If you go and listen to stories, and let me tell you something. This advice is very, very hard for people that are carnally minded. If you're a carnally minded person, it's very, very hard for you. And that's why I'll say some things that will sound funny. But you have to understand it. Even this so-called thing that we always say about marry your speck. Hmm? Marry someone that you're attracted to and all that. I want to put it to you that if your mind is clean, if you are of a pure mind, if your sexual appetites have not been informed by Netflix and pornography, me, I am telling you that there is hardly any good woman that will not become your sexual speck. I'm telling you. Whether she's horrible, whether she's thin, whether her face is fine, whether her face is not fine, when you meet somebody that is a good person and you have a friendship, a bond with that person, sexual attraction will come. And that sexual attraction will even be intoxicating. That sexual attraction will even be intoxicating. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? People that are carnally minded will be struggling with understanding what I'm saying. You see me, I like I cannot imagine myself liking a skinny girl. You have watched Kadibi Taya, so you think that's what's in your brain. I'm telling you from example. I'm telling I'm this is my experience, it's not just my experience. It's have you ever noticed why when you look at the scriptures, you notice that the advice or the institutes on choosing a wife is never dramatic. 
Have you noticed he's always very straight to the points? Do you know why? Why was marriage more successful in the days where they were picking wife for people? Why? Why was um, this is not themselves ad- facts? Why was adultery lower then? It's because their sexual appetite was not crazy like our own. That thing is a function of re- of um, conformity to the world. I'm telling you. All this thing of marry your spec, marry your spec is suggesting something. Where do you get the spec from? You will have told people that know me, I've told them the story one million times. I have people that can testify to it. When I first met my wife, if, if you would need to see pictures, old pictures, it's not as if me too, I, was, I was okay like that, but the point remains. It was a complete diversion from what used to make me go crazy. But one conversation one night on the things that are most important to me, and I, I said, this is the person I'm going to marry. It was after that the attraction that became crazy. You have to be holding somebody back. See, your guy, calm down. You, you see the way I got married early. How would you get married early? I guess God, I'm saying to you. See all these things that girls will say. And it's not my spec. It's not my spec. Especially girls. You would have the one. Guy's one is even the one that we should hammer on. If a girl is saying you want to marry your spec, which spec? May I can tell you confidently. If your mind is renewed, if you have, you have not put Igbo in your brain, <laughs> when you, you see a good man that is a good person, you will just find that the attraction will come. So that advice is even less for women. See other things, marry respect, marry respect, marry respect. When we were growing up, I remember this feeling when I was young. Ah, God, I cannot finish this message today. I've never started. Praise God. I remember when I was young. This feeling is very weird. I remember the feeling. Then we'll be talking to our guys and we'll be saying, you look at some married couples like, you know, Bishop, and you say, ah, she's not even fine like that. And I'll be thinking to myself, that how come these men marry these women that are not even fine and they're so happy? I remember thinking like that. I remember I'll be thinking, I'll be looking at all these you know, men of God that they're in ma- happy marriages and everything like Papa Debu. I used to think it in my brain. That look at which woman is even fat, I don't misspeak. And they were saying they're in love, they're in love. Which love are they in love? <laughs> not like this kind of ugly person. They lie. Because my head was not correct. You will get to a point where your value, a person whose values have not been changed will be struggling to understand this. But I know what I'm telling you. Your appetites can change by renewal of mind. And this is where the problem is for so many people. Such that the core things that can actually make for a good marriage, they cannot appreciate it because they have appetites that are extremely distracting from what is important. I hear what I'm saying to you now. It's extremely important. So that's why there's a huge component of even of all this teaching about Christians, teaching to Christians about marriage and relationship stuff that even has to do with spiritual growth. There are many of the things that we call marriage problems in quotes that is a matter of no spiritual growth. They're even like children spiritually. They have carnal tastes. Many times when people say, 
sexual compatibility, marry your speak. What they are demonstrating is that carnality. You know, I just said to you know, it sounds harsh, but it's the truth. What they are demonstrating is their carnality. What they are demonstrating is their carnality. Put it all together. Praise God. So, like I was saying, when we say marry your friend, what we are talking about is someone that is committed to your well-being. Someone that is committed to your well-being. It's not just someone that has common interest with you. Your worst enemies can call have common interest with you. Your guys, your classmates, and your co-workers, they might not you see. There's this deception. When you're hanging out with someone and the gist is sweet, and the gist is sweet and everything. You know, there's a kind of bonding that can start to happen. And then you're looking at the person and you now start discovering that ah, the person is actually fine. Hmm. And next thing, next thing, over time you start picturing the person as a possible relationship person, based on the fact that you guys are always gisting and you don't know anything. You now enter the marriage and relationship and you now start having problems and I start saying that ah. If I had known, I'd have known better and everything. Hmm. You know the reasons why the older generations had more successes in marriage? One of the reasons is because the common values that make for good marriages were almost universally agreed. So you could literally pick two people in a culture because from that culture, their values were universally agreed. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Irrespective of their temperaments, the way they see family decisions, the way they see marriage, the way they see children, the way they see God or their gods, if they were pagans, the way they see all those things were almost universally agreed. So you could literally pick up a man from a family and just match him with a woman and you'll be happy. Because there was a reason for agreement. Now, with the westernization and globalization, there is a f- our social fabric is freeing. So what now happens is that we are having a multiplication and multiplicity of people's values. And then the permutations are getting weird and so varying and so plenty. So you can have a Christian. You see, Apostle Paul would just say, go and marry someone. As if it's like that they used to marry somebody. You'll be hard to say, why Apostle Paul talking like this? If you are, if you are born in, go and marry. Like you can just pick someone, just say, um, those who have the right to just pick a sister and marry her. That's the way it was. Literally, you say, it's time for me to marry. Look for a good sister in the church. And then you ask, you know, say, I'm not a good sister. You say, that sister is a good sister. And you talk to the sister. And then you say, that's how it was. The last um, hundred years of human civilization cannot overturn what has been happening for the same way Homo sapiens have started building civilization for 200,000 years. It cannot happen. Cannot. In fact, it's a. Is a grain of salt in the ocean of human history. That's how human beings have been doing it for years and were successful. In the last hundred years, with a multiplicity, after the Industrial Revolution, and every human beings became very comfortably, very fast, within a very short time. Money just exploded globally. People became rich in a short time. And societies began to mix. And then there's modernization. And then there's the institution of materialism. People's value system have become free. So you now see someone. Among Christians, even among Christians, though, there will be some of them that will, they are Christians, but they believe in marrying your spec. Some don't believe in marrying your spec. Some believe that going out to movies is the most important thing. Others don't believe going out. You now see, they are all Christians, though, but they now have different ideas of what a good marriage is. Meanwhile, 
just 100 years ago, it was like as if we all agreed on what a good marriage was. If you say, what is a good marriage? Ask them. They will tell you a good marriage is this, 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 and this. And so that's why it seems like as if it's getting harder now. When we have many more options in terms of human beings, but picking a person is now getting harder. You'll be in a church where you have 1,000 single people. And the 1,000 of them is finding a problem to get a partner. How? Just what I'm saying to you. That's what's happening now. You'll be in a church, you have 1,000 eligible young people, and they will say, God, do it. What is God doing? You people that your pastor is supposed to line you up, 100 guys on one place, guys, yeah, pick yourselves and go and marry. That's what they'll have done in the ancient church. Because there was a common value system, there was a common understanding. But everybody has different ideas of what is now. The things that are important to some people is not important to some people. Some people hold some stupid things as the core. And those are not the things that make for a good marriage. You see, eh, I want to marry someone. When we get married, we have to be able to travel all the time and everything. And that thing is so important to them. If they don't see someone that likes to travel and all those kinds of things, they will not see themselves getting married to the person. What is wrong with you? For offer, you are using your hand to pull things to yourself. That's what's going on in the body right now. Church, all together. So, what you want to do is you want to marry someone that is actually your friend, someone that is committed to you. Right now, listen to me. When you have someone that is committed, I can't finish the message. I'm going to continue. I'll continue next Sunday. Church, I will together. Now, listen to me. Um, when you marry someone that is your friend, this is the call. Now, you, marry, you pick someone that is committed to you. Marry your friend. It's the basically, what I, like I said earlier, it means marry someone that is committed to your doing good. It's not an issue of, um, it's not so much an issue of, I'm, I'm, I'm going to balance the issue of sexual attraction you know, later, next Sunday and all that. So, so I don't think that there's actually no place for have sexual attraction and all that. That's not what I'm saying. I want to put your value system in the right order first. I want to outline the most important things. One error is to put the things that are low in priority on the top and put things that are high priority on the bottom. I've taught you guys about hierarchy of values. If you're for the first time, I don't understand what I mean. What I mean is this. There's something called hierarchy of values. In everything in this world, there is a prioritization order, even for God. Even God's purposes on the earth has a hierarchy. Not all things can happen at the same time because we're in space-time and things are limited. We are, this spatial-temporal existence that we have is a box. So many times you cannot line all your purposes at the same time and to contain. Sometimes you have to line them sequentially. Let me not go into all that. So what you will find is that when it comes to values, there is always a hierarchy. So that's why you always have trade-offs. That's why you have to always let go of some things because you have to have a hierarchy of values. So depending on the situation that you find yourself, you make the best of it by having a hierarchy of values. Some things are more important than others. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So when I'm talking about all this sexual attraction and spark and all those things, those things are good. I have sexual attraction with my wife. I have spark with my wife. But those are not the core. So people that put them at the core are the ones that are having problems in their relationship. Put themselves on the tangents where they're going to enter problems. There are some things that are priority. That once you have them, you can trade off the other things if you can't have them. 
It does not mean that when you have them, you will not appreciate them. Do you hear what I just said to you now? Your hierarchy of values. So when you have a hierarchy of values, the first and the most important thing is that you must marry your friend. Someone who is committed to your, to your betterments. Someone who is your ride or die. Someone that is your second, that when you fall, the person is ready to pick you up. Someone that has made that commitment to you. That is the basal. Now, that does not solve all your problems, like I said earlier. It is not everything in and of itself. Because it will be an error for me to tell you that that is all that matters. Because the truth is that you can actually have that person that will be your ride or die, but the relationship will not be very harmonious. I you get what I'm saying? Those are the errors that we look at in the past generation that we blow out of proportion, that we don't want for ourselves, that now makes us to put the low things as the hierarchy. So what I mean is this. You look at people from the past generation that believe that commitment was the number one, that, you know, that they were basically about the sanctity of the marriage union. So commitment was big to them. But after getting married, there are differences in behavior and everything will start causing friction. So you have couples that were married and they committed themselves to stay to the end. They were there for their children together. They were there for each other to be husband and wife. But when you're in the family with them, you know that they were always having issues. But they stayed married. Church out together. People growing up in that family section will now say, yeah, because of that, when I grow up, I must marry someone that gets me. I must marry Kinekon that gets me and all that. See, that's not the problem. So I'm not saying that commitment to solve all the problems. But I'm saying that it is the first and most important thing to God. So, a man must find a partner that will cleave to him, that will make them inseparable. Your ride or die. It is the first thing. It is not everything, but it is the first and most important thing. If you get someone that has spark, you get someone that has everything, and you don't get someone that has been committed to you as a partner, all those other things will land them in trouble. For example, if it is sexual attraction that is the number one thing on your list, not someone that is your ride or die. A time will come, and I guarantee you this. Your sexual attraction will ebb and flow. It will ebb and flow. You now marry someone that does not have self-control. You have someone that does not have a, a filter on their sexual appetites. Because the person is not committed to you, the person will break bounds and the person will break your heart. And both of you have the same interests. In fact, it's a common interest that made the person to cheat on you. I guess what I'm saying to you. It's not a matter of she gets me or she doesn't get me. It's the core. is to marry someone that is committed to you first. And this is a value system that must be taught in the church. Believers need to be taught this value system. Every Christian must be taught in their local church that you have a duty as a child of God. To look for someone that you will make a decision to in sickness and in health. No matter what happens, you will make a decision to the person, irrespective of how I'm feeling. You make no that thing does. Commitment is such a thing that it might not be the answer to all the problems, but it makes every other problem easier to surmount. You know I just said to you now. Are you me now? Are you me now? Mama is not here. So mama would, when mama comes, she will, you see, she will preach out. Commitment does not solve all the problems, but it makes all the other problems easier. When a person has made up their minds to be with you, and they've said, um, I have made up my mind that you're my ride or die, the person might still have some other problems. 
person might still have some other problems that I'm going to talk about later, right? The person can still have some other problems I'm going to talk about later. But those problems will be way more amenable and easier to deal with when the person has been committed to you. For example, it's easier to talk about fidelity when a person has made a commitment to you. A person might have problems with sexual control and all those kinds of things, right? But when the person is constantly reminded that you have made a decision to you, it will be easier for them to stay in line because they will not want to break your heart. Church, all together. When the person has committed themselves to you, the person will be willing to make painful sacrifices for you because it is their duty. The feeling that marriage is a matter of um, just how you feel and all that, and forgetting that marriage is actually first a duty. First a duty. It causes problems. So, someone that has committed to you is someone that is more likely to not put their family ahead of you. Do you understand that? Someone that has committed to you is someone that is more likely not to put their family ahead of you. Someone that is committed to you is someone that is willing to make painful sacrifices for your sake. So that if something is wrong in the way they are doing, they are willing to go out of their way. To, these are the things that people have forgotten about marriage. All these other things are amenable to time. They are amenable to human will. I'm telling you. It's because of the way our appetites are now. You know, of all these things that are amenable, see that nonsense sexual compatibility thing? When two people have committed to each other and they've seen it as their duty to mutually do their duty to each other, I'm telling you, you will do things to each other, you will become sexually compatible because it's both of you. You can sit down from morning to night in the house and say, this project, we must make it work. And you start experimenting the experiments you want to experiment. But the first thing is commitment. You see, all those them, we don't understand, we doesn't do things like, if you are committed to someone over time, eh, all those differences in interest and all those things, you will be amenable. Do you know how weird it is? This so-called interesting is that some of the things that you have interest in now, 10 years from now, you might not even have interest in them again. Do you know what I just said now? It's so called the it doesn't get me, it doesn't get me. Even you yourself, in 10 years from now, you might not get yourself again. It's true. Say, this is the kind of thing I like doing 10 years from now. I know the funny thing, like I was saying earlier, that for young people, many of the things that you think you are doing now will be forever, they're actually for a very short time because. I look at my parents sometimes, and these people are in their 60s, my dad is close to 80. And the man will still be making plans for the future. I'm not saying that I don't expect him to make plans for the future, but I'll be looking at him and making plans for the future, like, we're going to do this, we're still going to My mom will still be talking about wants to start a business and everything. I know it makes me realize that I'm actually a child compared to those people. I still have a long time with the Lord tarries. You will not make a decision based on something that when you are 60 years old and you look back of your life, you will not even have a memory of it because in the scale of your life, it was an interest you had for maybe like only 10 or 15 years. Compared to a 60-year-old man, you have 45 years. 45 years of your life that that thing was not important to you. It will be like a shadow, a distant past. You will be asking yourself why you could make a decision based on something so fleeting. This is where the regrets come from. You are not going to be 30 forever. You are going to be 30 for only one year of your life. People think that their life will end when they are 30. And it's a lie. That's when life just started. 40. 
50, 60, 70, 80. That's a long time to be miserable. It's a long time to be miserable. I get what I'm saying to you. So you want to marry someone that is committed to you. So from the beginning now, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? The number one thing you are checking in anybody that's going to be a potential partner is the person's value system with respect to commitments. The person's value system with respect to commitments. If you see someone that has a high body count, now we are Christians and of all people, we are the ones that understand the grace of God. Of all people, we are the ones that understand the grace of God. So we will never use a person's past to condemn them. It just means that when you see someone that has a high relationship count, what that should tell you is that by their fruits you shall what? Know them. You need to be sure whether that behavior, whether that value system is still there or not. That's why I always tell people, if you want to get married, the best chance, the best marital partners are the people who have had scanty relationship pasts. Relationship is the one thing, I've been saying this for like only God knows how many years. Relationship is the one thing that human beings do that the more you do it, the worse you get at it. They have never seen an example of anybody that's after doing relationship, the more they do relationship, the better they get. Is a lie. Relationship and marriage is the only thing that you are better off when you are naive. Because the more you do it, the more you acquire different kinds of tastes and experiences. That's the worst part. And don't forget I told you guys about experiences. Experiences shape your mind on a subconscious level. Such that the purity of mind, also the pure things are pure, the purity of mind that is required for you to commit to a person and stay with them, you lose it in the place of acquiring baggage. So, even listen to me, if you are someone that you have had one relationship, two relationships, three relationships, in your best interest, you need to take a time off from it. And sit down and look at your life. And make a decision, you look at people, you make a decision based on their sense of commitment is the number one thing. Look for someone that will be in your corner. You look at someone and look at the way the person believes about commitment. Look at the person's family history. Look at the person's background. Look at the, way the, kind, of, look at the kind of person that the person is. There's a reason why people who come from stable marriages tend to be um, better partners. Do you know why? One of the things that makes people to be bad partners that don't commit to people is that they're usually trying to revenge. They are fighting their parents' war. Many people are fighting their parents' war. That's what I was saying. Family unity is extremely important. Many times, people are com- com- continuing the war that people that their parents had or that people had against their parents. Grew up in a family where your, your mom was maltreated or your dad was constantly nagged and emasculated by your mom as a guy. You grow up. And that's one thing I should tell you guys now. Listen to me. When you get married, hmm? never ever insult or abuse your partner in front of your children. No matter what happens. And I'm not saying that for your partner's sake. I'm saying for your children's sake. Because one thing that happens to children, especially for guys, if you insult a man, you are destroying your sons. Who, 
This is not about submission or not submission. No. When the Bible tells people things, you people don't understand the ramifications. The Holy Spirit cannot start telling Paul to outline all the ramifications for submission. <laughs> One of the things that happen when you are insulting a man and the boy is listening is that every, that's why he said he's the father that all the families on the earth are named after. Fathers give identities to families. There's nothing you can do about it. If you like, don't take your husband's name. You continue your father's name. And if you like, take your mother's name. It is your grandfather's name that I've taken. Do you hear what I just said to you? Whether you like it or not, fathers give identities to families. That's why God is our father. You insult a man in front of his son. The son is standing in front of a mirror. And all he's asking himself is, am I like my father? And I'm speaking from experience. The boy is spending his life doing two things. Running when nobody's chasing him. Either running towards the picture of his father or running away from the picture of his father. Never becoming his own self. He enters a marriage and he's fighting that vendetta. The woman that emasculated my father. That's how women are. And at the slightest sound of dissent, based on the way he has been conditioned, you know the way we talk about conditioning. When you condition an animal, an animal does not, you condition an animal to start salivating to, to the ring of a bell. In the same way, you, a man is conditioned because he, the, his father was emasculated when he was young, he was conditioned to the point where because the emasculation always starts with something like a disagreement, the moment the woman, his wife, disagrees with him, he shuts down. A woman grew up in a family where the man is always beating the, the a man is always the husband her father was always beating her mother. And at the slightest disagreement, and the woman and the man says, What you are saying does not make sense. You want to beat me, Abby? He has not said anything about beating. You want to be, come and beat me. And then he holds the chance someone start beating. Guess what? Self-fulfilling prophecy. You're now holding she told him, I want to beat me, I want to beat me, I want to beat me, beat me. She'll be just beating, beat me. Beat me. Like, Let me just go beat you. <laughs> You see people carrying on the war that their parents fought. <laughs> One of the things that makes people not be able to commit to a person is that they are fighting wars that their parents fought and they are continuing the war for their parents. I've always wondered why my wife and her siblings, sisters, all have very good relationships. And I keep coming back to the same answer. And the answer is this. Their parents were so happy. Their parents had a, such a good marriage that number one, by default, they grew up under the um, leadership or under the tutelage of a good man. That by default, it was easy for them to recognize. So when they are seeing a good man, they are not mistaking it for weakness. They are not mistaking it for pretense. They can recognize the signs because they grew up always seeing the signs of what a good man does. So you don't need to come to church and be teaching them what a good man is. They already see it. The second part is that they can take you and be unassuming because they don't have any baggages that will make them look at you and be assuming that you will beat them. So a disagreement is just a disagreement. It's not a prelude to boxing. I get what I'm saying. For them. That kind that kind of pure-mindedness is what makes for a good marriage and commitment. 
So you want someone that will come and commit to you. So I was together. Listen to me. It's not a fluke. It is not a fluke. It's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. These things need to be taught more. People's value systems about marriage needs to be changed until we have a critical mass of people that are less and less TV-influenced and more and more transformed in the renewing of their minds, right? We will continue to have this kind of useless situation where we have a lot of believers that are struggling with simple things in their marriages and relationships. Do you know why? Because it actually takes two to tango. So even as a, this is this is just you know, sorry to sound so cynical, but even if you are now taking the advice I'm, t- I'm telling you, many of the people out there don't have this value system. So you are stuck in a sea of people that don't have sense. So we need to teach people more. We need to teach people more to understand these things. Hallelujah. Now, anyway, I've already said I can't finish, so I'm going to stop now. I'm going to stop now. Okay. So listen, you want to marry someone that's committed to you and all that. Like I said, the commitment makes everything easier. But it doesn't end there. So, you can have a commitment and everything and might not have the best of harmony. Because, like I said earlier, you can even see it in the examples that we have from the past. Two people can be committed to each other and they can have certain value systems that make them to continue to have needless conflicts. What commitment does is that it puts you, it is like a guardrail that surrounds both of you, that ensures that both of you don't come out of it, of the guardrail, and keeps both of you in that union. But the quality of the partnership inside that union also depends on some other things. So objectively, people that don't have that guardrail are still better than those, people that have the guardrail of commitment are still better than those that don't have it obviously, right? Because, I mean, they are not even talking about your right or die if you don't even have the guardrail. So, having the guardrail is the first step, which is the most important thing, but it does not solve all the problems. It makes the other problems easier to solve, but it doesn't solve them in and of its world's self. There are other value systems that once you have them inside the guardrail of commitment, it can greatly improve the quality of that union. So, this is what commitment does. This is what a Christian relationship does. It puts a minimum of how low you can sink. I just said to you. It puts a minimum on how low you can sink. It puts a bottom beyond which you cannot sink. Such that above that point, you can have different degrees and qualities of good marriages. But at least it will ensure that you don't go. But this is the problem with commitment, but not having commitment. Not having commitment ensures that you cannot get higher than a certain point. There's a difference. Did you hear what I said to you now? Let me say it again. Not having this godly commitment does something to you. What it does is that they put a ceiling on how high you can go. Having commitment puts a floor on how low you can go. But having commitment, not having commitment, not having this godly idea puts a ceiling on how far you can go. So people that don't have this Christian commitment according to the way God has it. See what will happen? Is that there's always a roof over their head. That's why they have four divorces. Plenty single mothers. Plenty baggages and depression. All kinds of low self-esteem issues. Because that thing continually continues to hurt their lives. Church, I will get what I'm saying. So what I want to talk about next Sunday is 
having gotten the basic minimum so that you don't fall into hell. Right? Because if you don't have that basic minimum, you can enter hell. People who don't have it, they are in hell and there's a ceiling that will not allow them to enter heaven. Do you understand the analogy I'm giving to you? So having had the basic minimum that will not allow you to enter hell in terms of marriage hell, marriage purgatory, what are the things <laughs> what are the things that can greatly improve the quality of that union? What are the things that can greatly improve the quality of that union? Because things are in degrees. Even light is in degrees. There's the light of the candle. There's the light of the torchlight. There's the light of the phone light. There's halogen light. And there's the light of the sun. Church all together. They are all different qualities of life. So having had, you know, God's divine value system that prevents you from going down into purgatory, what are the other value systems that you should pick in a partner that will make them the quality of your union to be high quality? So that's why, that's another thing about relationships that you should not do. That's why you should not compare. Don't compare. Marriage relationship, don't compare with people. Don't look at people on Instagram and say, God, when? Huh. You don't say God when. Don't say God when. When you're looking at people in relation with Instagram, it's a lie. Irony. Hmm. You see some people that they might not have entered hello, but the hell is just one step to go. But you see that small thing they have, they'll be posting on Instagram like as if they're the only ones that are relationship. It's a lie. Oh. <laughs> don't compare. Oh. It's not by all those things. Some people are even in hell. What they're showing you on Instagram is their with you as you spark. And you think that the spark is everything. Meanwhile, when they get home, it's something else. Hallelujah. Church, all together. So we'll continue next Sunday. Praise God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray for ourselves. Now to pray for us. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.